Hey, bring out the Kleenex. Happy Father's Day, guys. Don't you love being a dad? Trying to explain things to them or trying to explain God to them or concepts of love to them. Every once in a while, you ought to ask them, explain that to me. Or explain God to me. Explain what love looks like to me. Found this a number of years ago. I'm not sure where it came from. We're going to talk about a clear view of God as Bob prayed a moment ago. It's an eight-year-old boy's view of God. One of God's main jobs is making people. He makes these to replace the ones who die. He doesn't make grown-ups just babies. I think because they're smaller and easier to make. He doesn't take up his valuable time teaching them to walk and talk. He leaves that up to their moms and dads. Now, the second most important job God has is to listen to prayers. There's a lot of that goes on. And some people, like preachers, pray at other times beside bedtimes. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV on account of all that praying. He's very busy with all those prayers. So you shouldn't waste his time by going over your parents' head asking him for something they already said you couldn't have. Jesus is God's son who is busy on earth doing a lot of things like walking on water, miracles, and teaching people about God. Many didn't want to learn, got tired of his preaching, and they crucified him. Jesus loved them and asked God to forgive them, and God did. God appreciated his work so much that after he went back to heaven, he said he didn't have to go back on the road anymore. He could just stay there in heaven. He could pray anytime you want because they've got it all worked out that one of them were on duty all the time. You should always go to Sunday school and church because it makes God happy. And if there's anyone you want to make happy, it's God. A couple came home from the hospital with a brand new baby, put him in a crib. And after they left, the little brother snuck in and said, tell me before you forget, what's God look like? Don't you want to know that? Don't you want to see him clearly? We're going to look at that this morning. Some of the things that keep us from seeing God clearly and some of the ways to do that. I'm going to tie it all in at the end to Father's Day. Isaiah chapter 6 is a foundation that I want to use this morning. It's a familiar section. If you know the Word of God, it's one of those ones that many people quote, talk a lot about when it comes to the concept of worship. Maybe never have heard it within the context of Father's Day, but I want to look at that this morning. Now, there are two pictures in your sermon notes this morning. Going to flip it around a little bit and not go in chronological order based on the verses. The second picture is what happens to people who don't see God clearly. And obviously the first one in this context is what happens when we do and what is our reaction to that. I'm going to flip them around this morning and look at the second one first. And talk about some of the barriers, some of the things that happen in our lives that keep us from seeing God clearly. First one obviously from the Word of God here in Isaiah chapter 6. The rest of them are going to be based on my experience through life. Rebellion is firstly the obvious thing that keeps, in this case here, these people from clearly seeing and understanding who God is. The Israelites had an incredibly rich history of a relationship with God. Isaiah was one of the prophets who was trying to get them back to what they once were, but there seemed to be no interest at all in being able to follow and be obedient to God. They knew who God was, they had seen the history, at least had heard the history, and God had revealed himself to, the, himself to them over and over again. But there came a point where they decided we're going to do things on our own. We're going to walk our own way, make up our own mind, do our own thing, which ultimately is sin. A willful disobedience against the known will of God. It's when I don't do what I know God wants me to do. 
And we usually don't sin by accident. We pretty much know what we're doing. Now in your sermon notes is a circle. And really that kind of symbolizes the history of the Israelites. They had a relationship with God. And then became somewhat reckless, which eventually led to rebellion, which ultimately led to ruin. And God said that was going to happen. So they repent, come back to God. There's restoration that takes place because God is a loving God that we said last Sunday morning. But unfortunately, it led them back to that reckless behavior again. Last Sunday morning, I don't think I could have done a better job of describing to you the incredible, unconditional love of God. But as I began to write this Sunday morning, I wanted to make sure that you didn't confuse last Sunday's message on the unconditional love of God and think that it doesn't matter if I sin because God will still love me and he will. But you and I will pay the price and suffer the consequences of sin and disobedience. And I don't want you to ever misunderstand that in relationship to last Sunday morning on this unbelievable, incredible love of God. God's love and grace is overwhelming, and he will forgive. But Scripture is extremely clear on the fact that we can't continue to sin and take advantage of God's amazing grace and love. Matter of fact, Paul said, God forbid that I would ever do that knowing that I have a loving God who will, by his incredible grace, forgive me when I sin and when I fail and keep doing that because I know he's going to forgive me. God forbid that I ever take advantage of that grace or take that for granted. But you and I both know there are a multitude of people who do that, knowing because they've heard of God's love, knowing they can come and confess, knowing they can come to God who's going to hear their prayer and receive their grace, receive his grace, and then they're going to walk out and do the same thing again because they know they can come back to God and find forgiveness and grace. And Paul, in Scripture, very clearly said, don't, don't ever take for granted that grace. And don't misunderstand God's incredible love and mercy to think that we can continue a pattern of sin and not pay the ultimate consequences of that sin. Secondly, when we put God in a box or believe that he only works in a certain way or believe that he always works the same way all the time, I think it's interesting if you look at the, the history of the Israelites when they were ready to cross the Red Sea, Moses steps up, hits the Red Sea with his staff and the waters part. You've got to wonder what the assumptions were when they're now facing the Jordan River is if indeed Joshua, who's taking Moses' place, is going to do the same thing. And God does it very differently. Nahum, Naaman is a prophet or a uh, captain of the Syrian army in the Old Testament, came up with leprosy, had a young Jewish servant girl who knew of a prophet in our country named Elisha and she said why don't you go to him now he had heard of God's healing nature before and so he had assumed that Elisha would come out recognize his power and be overwhelmed by the fact that he was a captain of the Syrian army and pray over him or just simply say a word and he would be healed Elisha didn't even come out sent one of his servants out and said go tell him to wash into Jordan River seven times Naaman was furious well, how does God not work the same way he did in other cases? Why does God just simply want me to do this? Why do I have to do that? Why doesn't God do what he always does? Just simply heal when I ask. God doesn't always work the way you and I think he should. The problem is, if God always worked the same way all the time, we would come to a point in our lives when we wouldn't even ask him things because we would assume he always does things the same way. 
one of the many things I love about God that is also sometimes hard to understand is that God is unpredictable. And sometimes is a God of surprise. Even the religious leaders in Jesus' day had tunnel vision, proud of their tradition, their biblical interpretation, and confident that they were trustees of all of God's truth. They never imagined they could be wrong. They had a very definite picture of what the Messiah would be and what he would do, and Jesus of Nazareth didn't fit their description. Fascinating book called Surprised by the Spirit, written by Jack Deere. He's John Deere's brother. He's not really. <laughs> There's an assumption in evangelical churches and churches along the way that for years after the apostles died, the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased, especially sign gifts. And so that teaching began to be pretty much prevalent all over the American church. And a lot of people assumed that that's thing that God did in the New Testament he doesn't do anymore. And then all of a sudden the Spirit of God began to show up in very unique places. And they were obviously surprised by the Spirit that what he does in the Word of God, he now does in very different ways. Some people feel that being led by the Spirit is the same as being spontaneous and unplanned. And that's not always the same either. Can it be? Absolutely. But we need to be very careful that what we call unplanned and unprepared is being led by the Spirit. I've been in circles where it wasn't somewhat planned, a little bit spontaneous, especially within the context of music, and they would just sing the same song over and over again for an extended period of time and simply say they're being led by the Spirit. They very well may be. But I think sometimes we've got to be a little bit careful of what we say we think God's doing and what he's actually doing. I had someone ask me a number of months ago, if the Spirit of God came to you on a Saturday night and told you I wanted you to do something different on Sunday morning than what you have in your notes, would you do it? I said, absolutely. I would be, however, a little bit surprised. Why is that? Because I asked God Tuesday in my office what he wanted me to say. I asked God Tuesday in my office what he wanted me to write. I asked God Tuesday in my office what he wanted me to share on a Sunday morning. And he clearly told me, and that's what I wrote down. That's what I scripted out. That's what I shared. I asked him on Wednesday to verify that, and he did. I asked him on Thursday when I was finishing it up, and he did. I would be a little bit surprised that he would come to me on Saturday night and say, oh, by the way, I was just kidding. <laughs> I have people all the time that assume that if I leave the script and walk down here and begin to talk very loud and very dramatically and very powerfully that I'm being led by the Spirit instead of being directed by the script, and that's not true at all. I'm just down here talking very loud and very sporadically. Sometimes we get a little bit confused as to how we assume God's going to work, and we have our own definition of what we think He's doing if we're not careful, we're looking at it just simply through our grid and what we would like him to do, not necessarily what he's doing, which leads us to number three, when we see him through ourselves or how we think God should work. Man was created in the image of God, and ever since we've been trying to rearrange that and create God in our image, which is called humanism. Let's take the personalities, for example. There's the person who loves to run things, love to be strong-willed, love to be in control, and they assume that's how God should work. There's the happy-go-lucky people of life who just simply love life and want to be living it to the fullest, who never seem to take God seriously or take sin seriously, who thinks that somehow God will just say, well, boys will be boys. 
There's those behind-the-scene quiet people or those steady detail people who always see God the same and extremely predictable, who knows he knows all the hairs in our head, and they know he's right because they counted them. There's a natural tendency for us to see God through ourselves or our personalities. There's two problems with that. One is balance because we have strengths and weaknesses, and by the way, he doesn't. And secondly, exclusiveness, which is when we think that our view is right. Believe it or not, and I'm glad you're sitting down, not everyone sees God and life exactly like you do. Even God. Number four, one of the things that keeps us from seeing God clearly is we are looking at God or looking for God or trying to describe God or seeing God through our parents. Now, today's Father's Day, and dads always come to me. I shouldn't say always, but pretty often dads come to me saying, you're going to be really hard on us on Father's Day, aren't you? Now, it's a little bit easier for me to do because I'm a dad. So it's not like I'm telling you something that you shouldn't do or you should do and I don't do or don't have to do. So I get that. But whether we like it or not or even whether we believe it or not, a lot of our children and the next generation and the one that follows that takes their view of God from us as fathers. Whether we like it or not or whether we believe it or not or whether we even like the weight of that, A lot of the next generation and a lot of our children and a lot of our grandchildren take their view of God from us as fathers and the life they see us living. If we say we're followers of Christ, we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, God said, then put me first. If we don't do that, how do we expect our children to? If we let them choose sports or activities and all kinds of things over church, we've already told them what's most important. If your dad is tough and demanding, you'll always be looking over your shoulder, wondering what you've done wrong, and see God as a God of judgment. If your dad was like Santa Claus who spoiled you, gave you everything you wanted in life, you're going to view God as a give-me-God and wonder why he doesn't do everything you ask him for. Or if you have a dad who never told you that he loved you, You're always going to wonder if God does. And whether we like it or not, whether we feel like we want to carry the weight of that or not, I am here to tell you we have an incredible responsibility, and I believe an incredible privilege of doing everything we can to give our children the best possible view of God as fathers. Will we be perfect? Of course not. I'm just here to tell you, based on what I see in the Word of God and specifically what I've seen and experienced of life, is that many of your children and many of the people around you and the next generation and the grandchildren that follow you are looking at you and watching your life and my life to try to get a clear picture of this God that they know is there, that they see in Scripture, but is somewhat mysterious and somewhat cannot be seen. So they're looking for you because they're calling you Father to see what he looks like. And I know that's a lot of weight. I clearly understand that's a lot of weight because I know that there are probably 3,000 people that I've been blessed to be influenced on in the last 41 years of my ministry who see the Father through the image that I've displayed as their pastor in the last four churches that I've been a part of. Some who still to this day every once in a while will call me Father. 
because they're changing churches and they forget the transition of what that looks like. I've, I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone in nursing homes and prayed for people and someone will look at me and say, Father, will you pray for me too? I said, I would be honored to do that. And try not to correct them in that context. Number two and four leads to number five, sometimes disappointment with God or even angry with God. And, and most of the time it is because of of number two, that, that whole view of God or what I've seen about God or disappointment with God or angry with God or him not doing what I thought he could do or maybe growing up in a home where it wasn't really evident as to what God looked like. But I'm here to tell you that that disappointment sometimes and that anger with God will keep you further and further away from him and not give you a clear understanding of his overwhelming love for you. Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointment with God, and Jim Dobson in his, When God Doesn't Make Sense, does a great job of saying, if you continue down that path, you will just be more and more distanced unless you go backwards and deal with those issues and deal with that disappointment, find the help or the counseling or whatever's necessary to do that, you're going to get further and further away from God because instead of that anger and disappointment drawing you close, it's only going to push you away. And you have found that out in your own family situations at times. Number six is apathy, where I really don't care. <laughs> and that's kind of odd to say to you, because you're here this morning, so you are interested in knowing about God. You're interested in growing into a relationship with God. But I always remember, not only obviously there are people online watching us, but you and I influence hundreds of people along the way. And, and wanting to help them through the process of going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You want to share that with them what we have found uh, about God last week and his incredible love and grace. I'm also here to help you understand some of the things that keeps them from making that transition so that you can help them work through that process. And finally, number seven, just simply when we see God through the media is what I wrote down. I found it interesting. In 41 years of ministry, I've only canceled three services because of inclement weather, two of them in the last year. One in 1993 when we opened up the Screen door in our house and found out there was three and a half feet of snow in the front door. And we obviously couldn't get to church that Sunday morning. And then last November and January. So on those two days, I decided to do channel surfing, which is dangerous, I know. But I was blown away. Now, you're here this morning, so you don't channel surf. You don't watch TV online. You don't watch TV pastors online. But I did find that so many people out there who are using the media to help them understand what God looks like or what church looks like have some really great ones and some really crazy ones. I mean, I, I honestly, and maybe none of you, maybe you'd, you've done that before. I was blown away. I felt, I am unbelievably naive. When I, when I watch some of these and I'm thinking, oh my lands, this is people's view of God and people's view of church sometimes with what they see in the media. So I'm glad you keep coming every Sunday morning because we're going to do our best to show you clearly what we believe God is all about. So what happens when we set aside our bad experiences, our preconceived notions, and just seek after God with all we want? What do we need to do and what should our response be? Number one, be willing to work through the confusion, disappointment, and uncertainty. Be willing to do the work that's necessary to move through the confusion, disappointment, and uncertainty. Many times it's confusion or chaos that causes us to search for a better look at God. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6 for a moment, the first few verses. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, where Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. 
Now, in his context, he was just going to church as he always went to church. He was going to the tabernacle as he always went to tabernacle. And on that particular day, I went because King Uzziah died, and of all things, I saw the Lord. High and exalted, seated on the throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, two their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. He's obviously looking to the future in Christ as well. And then I heard the loud voice of God saying, who will I send? Who will go for us? And he said, I will. I'll go. Send me. In the year King Uzziah died, for 52 years, King Uzziah sat on a throne. Good king under his leadership. The country was stable, secure. And now he's gone. And the people felt the insecurity that goes with that. I learned a long time ago that many people's search for God begins when something major happens. When there's uncertainty about the next step or uncertainty about the future, in many cases, people come to God when they learn enough they want to or they heard enough they have to and recognize he's the answer they need. And most come at that level. Think back of the Christmas story for a moment. How many characters in the Christmas story saw that God the clearest in the midst of all the confusion? Think about Joseph and Mary the shepherds, the wise men, every single one of them in the midst of the strangest circumstances you can imagine saw God as clear as they ever could when they were willing to work through that and just be simply obedient to what they know he's asking them to do. You'll find him in the midst of that conclusion, confusion when you follow the advice of Jeremiah 29. It's in your sermon notes this morning. You will seek me and you will find me got to seek me with all your heart you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart and as you do that you will see him more clearly and that will lead you to being honest before God about the necessity of saying I'm sorry I doubted you I failed you. I didn't trust you. Whatever the issue may be, not all of us, not in every single situation, but many times when we're walking through the process of confusion or life itself, we come to the point of recognizing our own issues and our own circumstances and knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that we've got to get to the point of saying, God, I am sorry. Your relationship with Jesus when you came to Christ as Savior began with repentance. If it didn't, I'm not sure if you have a real intimate relationship with God. It began with an awareness, I need God. I cannot do this on my own. I shouldn't do this on my own. I'm not able to do this on my own. And I need God. Now, repentance obviously looks different for a 7-year-old than it does for a 16-year-old. And I get all of that. But it always begins with repentance. And growing in Christ begins with on my knees before God. The closer you are to God, the more you realize and recognize the areas in your life that you need to correct. The further you are from God is when you begin to think that you're okay. 
Confession will always lead to change. It will always lead to change. God, you're right. I want to get close to you. I want to see you clear. I want to understand what it's like to display your image to the world around you. I, I, I want to follow. And there are some areas in my life that I need to change. I need to correct. I tell you that. I'm confessing that to you. And when you recognize that, you will change. Things begin to clear up. You'll make the changes that are necessary and make some incredible strides in your journey with Jesus. And finally, obviously, it leads to commitment or full trust in him, even when we don't understand. I love Isaiah's response. Here am I. I, I I'm, I'm so sorry. I realize. And what I love about Isaiah, he said, I, I'm a, I am a person of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. One of the things that I love about Moses' leadership with all the frailties and issues of the people of Israel, is he identified with their sin and admitted that he too needed God. It always amazes me that we're so willing to commit ourselves to a human being that is frail, weak, and unpredictable, or a pilot that we trust whom we never met, but slow sometimes to fully commit ourselves to God who is strong, faithful, consistent, and eternal. So my question this morning to you as a dad, to me as a dad, is this. Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to raise your hand before Almighty God? Because not everybody can stand, and I get that, and I want to be sensitive to that every Sunday morning. But are you willing before Almighty God to just simply say, I'll do that? I will show the next generation, do the best that I possibly can, to show the next generation, God, what you look like. I, I want to be a, 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 the best I know how, a God with skin on. That lets them show your unbelievable love and grace. But also the necessity of repentance and forgiveness. Because I want them to see it in me when I say I'm sorry. When I say I was wrong, I reacted inappropriately. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done it that way. I'm sorry, God, will you help me to change? And you do that even sometimes in front of your kids. You can't go backwards. Well, I didn't have the dad. I get that. My dad was like, I get that. Well, you don't know what. You're right. None of us can go backwards. But we can today. Say, like Isaiah, I will. Here am I. Use me. Where I need to confess, I will. Where I need to change, I will. Where I need to further commit or recommit, I'll do that. So I will. Any of you join me? God, you know where we're at. I love that. I love the fact that you never fail us, you never forsake us, you never leave us. You walk with us in every circumstance, in every situation. Sometimes it's overwhelming being a dad. Because we recognize the weight that goes with that. We recognize what it entails. We're here long enough. We're in church long enough. We've heard sermons long enough to know the weight that goes with being a father. Even being called a father, knowing that you are called our Heavenly Father. So, Father, we stand before you this morning. We raise our hands in front of you, in front of our family and friends. Like Isaiah, we say, I'll do that. I'll I'll do the best to my ability. I'll do that. It's not obviously for just dads here this morning. Some of us in the room that need to correct our behavior. 
There are some of us in the room that need to confess. There are some in the room that really need to change. So God, may it not just simply be a dad or two fathers, but to all of us. Be like Isaiah, recognize and understand our sin, change that pattern, and determine to live fully and completely for you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for what it teaches. I do not want to be falling into the same trap as the Israelites who said it for a while and then went right back to what they did before and fell into the same trap. We want to be consistent in our journey with you. Father in heaven, help us to do that. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Guys, I hope you have a great, great Father's Day. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning.